This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. In 1832, a cholera pandemic swept through Europe and well into the United States. It terrified everybody. They couldn't understand what was happening. Someone who could be very, very healthy in the morning, all of a sudden their skin would turn a ghastly blue. They would almost immediately dehydrate, and then within a few hours they would be gone. It was petrifying. 18,000 people in Paris died in a city of 100,000 people. At that time, almost a third of New York City left the town altogether. They left the city to move up north to get away from whatever this odd death was. That was terrifying people. They had no idea the pandemic and what they were dealing with. And it inspired one artist a few decades later named Alfred Rethel to paint a painting that became a woodcutting. And it looks like this. You can see death in some odd, twisted way, working his way through a Paris ball where the musicians up in the upper left corner are desperately trying to run and flee for their lives as the masqueraders lie dead at death's feet. Pretty morbid, huh? Pretty sick as death plays its sick, sick, morbid fiddle. Maybe for you, this is how you see death. This is what you envision. Death is this sick, dark, skeletal figure, malicious in his smile that just works its way through our existence and ruins everything that it touches. Maybe for you, this is death. But is that right? I'm just asking this morning, just asking, this is Palm Sunday. We're very thankful. Uh, Karen and Corey came through and put up the fronds and things are getting spruced up because we're just a week away from Easter. And maybe you came from a church tradition where this is a celebratory time and we're going to sway the, paper, the palm fronds and we're singing Hosanna. And it's an awesome, exciting thing. And here you go, Paul, talking about death, screwing it up again. Last week, you screwed up Easter baskets. You ruined that for us. If you weren't able to be here for the Easter basket debacle of 2023, you can go to whoishouseontherock.com and listen to that. More than happy to ruin your Easter again. But here it is, Paul. It's, it's Palm Sunday. What are you doing just dropping this cloud of death and morbidity on everything? Why would you do that? It's Palm Sunday. I might suggest you don't know the story very well if that's your response. Because at the heart of the Palm Sunday parade into Jerusalem as another companion, if you will, walking ever so quietly, but ever so present with our Savior. Last week, we talked about how death was a companion to Christ how Jesus 
came to live, to die, to bring life. Death wasn't something that Jesus fled from. It's something that he walked towards. He understood this is the purpose for which he came. And now we need to ask ourselves, what, does, what is death for the life of Jesus' followers? What type of companion is he? So let's look at Palm Sunday. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. There are Bibles located in the seats in front of you and Ryan will have some verses up on the screen. I will reference a lot of verses today. And I'll do it in such a way that maybe you just want to write the references down and look at them later. But I think they'll be helpful for you. John chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verses 20 through 27. It's kind of where we're going to camp out. Maybe you want to put your finger there just to kind of keep track. Now let me read the passage for us and then let's open it up together. John chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Hey, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went over and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from the hour? But for this purpose... I have come to this hour. Let's, let's talk about Palm Sunday. This was the highlight of the year of Jerusalem. This is their equivalent of New Year's. This is all the banners and all the parties and all the celebrations. Hundreds of thousands from all around the area are coming to Jerusalem. The city and population would double and triple overnight. As Jews from out the entire empire make their long trek to come to the city. It's a high holy day. It's Passover week. It's a big deal. And not just Jews, Greeks or Gentiles, those who were not ethnically Jewish, but had given themselves over to follow the Jewish faith, they would come too to be a part of the great festivities. And so as you can imagine, the city's all a buzz. It's, it's all popping. It's, it's exciting. It's fun. It is, it's, it's Times Square in the city of Jerusalem. Everyone's excited. But also, there's a rumor that this crazy, amazing, powerful young rabbi out of Galilee is nearby and very well might be coming to the city. All the political unrest and intrigue because the powers that be have some real issues 
And they're noticing that there's more Roman soldiers about than maybe should be because everything is, it's, the city's a powder keg. This is, the, this is the Jesus who heals the blind and multiplies food and some even say rose a guy from the dead a little while ago. And so all of a sudden, the murmur, the rumor has made its way through because sure enough, there's an entire throng of people who's now coming over the Mount of Olives down through the valley and is going to come up into the city. So the whole city, the whole Temple Mount begins to empty to see this man, Jesus, who's in the center of all of these things and everyone's excited. You can't help but what is going to happen. This is like prize fight night. This is, this is opening day. This is huge. And Jesus is surrounded by an entire throng of people behind him. In the midst of all of this, of all the celebration, of all the excitement, of all the buzz, a couple Gentiles, guys like you and me, kind of saunter up to one of Jesus' disciples. Hey, you think we can meet him? You think? You mean, Philip's like, <laughs> I know a guy. So Philip goes over to Andrew. Hey, Andrew, these guys want to meet our man. You think we can, I think we might be able to pull something off. Just follow me. So Philip and Andrew, with the two Greeks in tow, come up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, these guys are from out of town. We said that we knew you. They'd like to meet you. What do you say? You talk about a little bit of celebrity shock, right? I mean, this is the Jesus. This is the guy. And these guys are like, oh, maybe we're going to get an autograph. Maybe, I don't know. So this is the Jesus. And Philip, you know, he's feeling pretty big. Andrew, he's feeling pretty good. And all of a sudden, what do you think is going to come out of Jesus' mouth? Notice what does come out of Jesus' mouth. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. For what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It's for this purpose that I've come. Maybe not what they were expecting. It's almost as if Jesus can see something that everybody else can't. It's almost as if Jesus is aware of a deeper reality, a story that's at play, a companion that no one else understands, a story that must play. In your notes, maybe we could write this down together. Maybe it'll help us this morning. Jesus leads followers through death to life. Jesus leads his followers through death to life. It's that order, it's that formula, if you will, that is so important for you to grasp this morning. I'm glad you had a cookie. I'm glad you had a muffin. I hear they were amazing. I'm glad that you met some friends, you sang some songs. 
We're going to share the table in a little bit. You get more carbs before you leave. But what I really need you to get this morning is that when it comes to Jesus and following Jesus, he leads us through death to life. He says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. Notice the order. Notice the progression. If the grain dies, meaning if it goes into the ground, if it shucks off that mortal coil, if you will, if it gives way for the plant to come up and that plant will bear much fruit. If the grain dies, if that little kernel will die, it will produce much fruit. It goes from death to life. He unpacks it even further in the next verse. He throws the, the, the opposite, the inverse. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever puts the priority of life first, well, that just is going to end in death. That's where that story goes. If you love your life, if you are devoted to your life and your habit and your way and your goals and your priorities and your wealth and your, your wants, if that's what you're all about, well, then all you're left with is death. But he says, if you hate your life, meaning if you despise it, if you don't prioritize it, if you're not all about you, notice what he says. You keep it for eternal life. If you follow me through death, Jesus says it leads to life. If you follow me through death, it leads to life. The craziest thing is Jesus, because Jesus puts cookies on the bottom shelf. He just does. God does it. Jesus does it. That's how he teaches. In the parade with Jesus is someone who embodies this very thing. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus is kind of famous, right? For doing what? Coming back to? After being dead. Many of the people have actually come out in this parade because Jesus did what? Hey, that guy right there, he was dead and Jesus brought him to life. The parade route goes over the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, up into the old city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. What you might not know is the Kidron Valley is the city cemetery. All over the eastern bank. And even if you were to get pictures of Jerusalem right now, it's overflown into the western bank where the Mount of Olivets is. There are tombs and, and mausoleums and places where the dead are. Jesus in this moment is literally leading a man who was dead and now is alive through a whole bunch of dead people. Because Jesus leads his followers through death to life. If you were to say in the same book, a verse to maybe write down and look at, in John chapter 5, Jesus says the same thing. John 5, verse 24.
John 5, 24. That's a big number five. That's a little 24. I'm just being helpful, that's all. Dude, this is a scary book. Truly, truly. It's another way of God saying, hey, pay attention, all right? I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but what? Has passed from death to life. It's not just John. This is through the whole book. This is through the whole book. What does God do? Brings people through death to life. If you've been reading through the Bible with me, or we've been reading through the Bible through this year, we're going to read through the Bible together. Um, uh, you're in Colossians 3, chapter, chapter 3 today. You're in Colossians 2 yesterday. That's how that works. 2, then 3. Um, and right in there, it's, he makes this big point. Hey, if you've been crucified with Christ, you now live. Because Jesus leads us through death to life. You've been buried with Christ. You now live with Christ. Doesn't that mean that death is the constant companion of Christ's followers? Doesn't that mean that death is the constant companion to Christ's followers? My question for you this morning is what kind of companion is he then? I've been wrestling with that question for some time. Months and months and months, this message went into the docket, okay? Months and months and months ago. This is something that I want to talk to my people about. We need to talk about death, how we understand death, and how we process death. And then when I was putting together the, the message order for Lent, I'm like, all right, we've got to get this in here. We're going towards the cross. We need to talk about death. Not just Jesus' death. We need to talk about our death and how we understand death, because I think we're getting it wrong. I think in many respects, and I, am, I will be as sensitive as I possibly can, okay? But we get death wrong. I started to reflect on one of some of the things that death does. And, and you, you can come to your own conclusions. One of the things that death does is death helps us keep account. Maybe that's something to remember. I don't know. But death helps us keep account. It says in Romans chapter 14, verse 12 specifically, for each of us will come before God and give an account. Let's think about that. Each of us on the other side of death will appear before God and do what? Give an account. Who here does the accounting in your household? Some of you do, right? Tax time, you do the cat. Rose, we know. Adam, we know. It's okay. Adam, you're awesome. I love you. But it's what she does. Okay? My, my wife does the accounting, the, the taxes, all of that. All right? This is an asset. This is a liability. This is a positive. This is a negative. And it says, according to Scripture, inspired by the Spirit, you will appear. I will appear before God and do what? Give an account. Here's the books. Here's the books. Not whether or not you will go into heaven. No, no. Well, I got enough. Did it weigh this way enough? Did we weigh this way enough? No, there's an honest reflection and an accountability before God. I gave you life. I gave you time. I gave you talent. I gave you resources. What did you do with it? What did you do with it? 
You will give an account. Death helps me keep account. Is that really what you want to be doing right now? Is that really how we want to be spending the day? Do you really want to answer for that? Death helps keep account. I think in the same way, death helps us plan our day. If death is a companion, death helps you plan your day. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story of a man who is very successful. Who here wants to be successful? It's okay. Everyone's always afraid to raise their hands. Do you want to be successful? Yes, you do. Pam knows, absolutely do this. Yeah, let's do this. I want to be successful. Come on down. No, 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 no. It's not that kind of church. No. <laughs> Here's a man who's very successful. The harvest is more than he could possibly imagine, more than he could possibly realize. He is so overflowing and abounding in new wealth. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And so he begins to reflect, what am I going to do with all this wealth? This huge windfall has just come in. I am overflowing. My barns can't hold all my monies. What am I going to do with all these Benjamins? So what does he do? I know what I'll do. I'll build myself some bigger barns. I'll expand the empire. We're going to franchise this thing. We're going to take this on the road. And it says, and the divine appears to him, you idiot. My translation. Literally, fool. Do you not know that tonight your soul will be required of you? Such as those who are not generous and wealthy towards God. Death helps me plan my day. Do I want to be doing that or do I want to be doing that? If, if that's the priority and I know that death is present and death is a reality and that tonight could be my night, how do I want to spend today? How will, I, how will I plan today? Death helps me plan my day. Death helps me value time. Death helps me value time. The psalmist, the poet says in Psalm 90 verse 12, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. What does that mean? Does that mean I got to count them all? All right. So the rumor is I'm 44, almost 45. I have to ask regularly. I don't track these things. But she says, yeah, so I'm 44, almost 45. So does that mean I got to start September 9th, 1978? One, two, three, for almost like count them all. Got to count. Is that what it mean to number my days? Of course, that's not what it means. What does it mean to number the days? God, teach me to number them. Means God, teach me to value the purpose and the intent of what that thing is called now. Called today. Help me value this thing called today. Death. Helps me do that. The presence of death helps me value my day. Death holds up a mirror. I start to think about this. I don't like looking in the mirror. This is as good as it gets. Seriously. 
I worked on this for hours this morning. This is as good as it gets. Death holds up a mirror. This is you. This is your humanity. This is the fragility. This is your mortality. This is you. In James chapter 4, this is a great passage to look at later. I'm going to read it for you now. James 4. James is towards the back of the book. Listen to what, listen to what the, James says. Our brother of Jesus, come now. He says, this is verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. How many of you have sat down and looked at the week? Well, this week we're going to do this and this week we're going to do this and we need to make here. We need to go shopping in this day and, and so-and-so has this game and we have to do, here's, we got looked ahead. How many of you have done that? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Why not? Right, right. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Mist. The Palestinian mist moves in every morning. It blankets the countryside of Israel every morning. It's just part of the ecosystem. It's a part of the culture. It's a part of the weather. This beautiful gray blanket that covers everything every morning. You can expect it. In the same way that you expect the sun to rise and the sun to set, there's the morning mist. Did you hear what I said, though? It's the morning mist. Because as soon as that hot Mediterranean sun rises up, it's gone. The mist doesn't even make it to lunchtime. And James says, that's you. Death holds up a mirror and says, this is you. This is you. This is humanity of which you are a part. Well, I thought I was the center of the universe. That's what Facebook told me. <laughs> Look at all my friends. See how much I'm liked? I thought I was the center of everything. I thought the world beat to my drum. Good friend of mine and a mentor we used to joke around about this because it's true. If you struggle with knowing how important you are, how significant you are, get a bucket of water. Get a good bucket of water. Take your fist and put your fist in the water. Okay? Pull your fist out of the water. The hole that's left behind, that's how much the universe needs you. That's, 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 that's what you get. You get that hole. And you're like, well, there's no hole in there. Death holds up a mirror to our humanity, of which we are a part. And we must be reminded of that fragility and reminded of that brokenness. John Donne, the poet, writing of death and our shared humanity. No man is an... Well done. You get gold star. Have one more cookie before you go. And when one of us dies, we all lose because we're all shared in this humanity. But then he closes the poem, ask not for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. A local village, a local town would have a bell ringer, a man who lived in the church, a chaplain, a warden. And they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have TikTok and Snapbook and 
face chat and all that other fun stuff. And so when someone would pass away, the bell ringer would toll the bell. And so when you hear the bell toll, you're not to be reminded, oh, someone else died. I'm to be reminded, oh, that's me. Ask not for whom the bell tolls. The bell tolls for thee. Death holds up a mirror. If you were reading through Colossians 3 again today in our, in our readings, death holds up a hammer. Put to death, therefore, that which is evil amongst you. Literally nail it down, crucify it. There is an aspect of you, of your being, that must not live to see the sun set. It is your sinfulness. It is your depravity. It is that which is lust and greed and immorality. And death says, should we nail that down? Oh, we need to nail that down. That cannot make it to tomorrow. That cannot make it to tomorrow. Some of the things as I reflect upon the companion of death. But what of our emotions? Because you have lost, I have lost. You have had moments where you are angry at death. Is that okay? Jesus said in verse 27, Now am I troubled. Now am I troubled. But I ask you, is he troubled because of death? Or is he troubled because he's going to his crucifixion? Is he not troubled because he has seen and knows and has waited these 33 years? He knows what is waiting for him. He has seen the nails. Maybe he has hewn the wooden beams as the, the carpenter that he is. He has seen the Roman soldier's whip. Oh, I would be troubled too. Another passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I would have us all turn there, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's a great passage. And unfortunately, it's a passage that so many Christians just screw up. I'm going to try to not do that. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and 14. This is the, kind of, this is the passage where you want to have Palm Sunday in the back of your minds. The throng coming out to meet the king. The king coming into Jerusalem. All the graves in the cemetery. The dead man walking. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. We do not want you to be uninformed. Literally, ignorant. We don't want you to be dumb about this. Okay? About what? About those who are asleep. What do you think he's talking about? Those who are asleep in church? Right? We don't want you to get upset with those who fall asleep during church. No. Who's he talking about? Yeah. This is the primary metaphor for death in the New Testament. Someone who has fallen asleep. In fact, when Jesus gets word about the sickness and ultimate passing of his friend Lazarus, what does he say to the disciples? Hey, he's fallen asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep. 
that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Notice, okay, there is a place for grief. We grieve at the loss of our loved one. Why? Because we have lost our loved one. But not like those who have no hope, meaning those who do not know where the story is going. They grieve another way. They lose another way. Yes, we grieve, but not like them. For since, meaning this sentence should probably go before the one that you just read because this is the whole reason that sentence exists. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose, notice the formula, death to life. Even so through Jesus, God will bring him, with him, those who have fallen asleep. Through death to life. Isn't death then the friend that brings me home? Isn't death then the friend that brings me home? The one who gives rest at the end of the long day, the one who unites me with the family. You read this all throughout scripture and he was brought to his fathers and he was collected to his family, talking about death. Every character in scripture, their story culminates in the writing and the recording of their death and he was gathered to his people. That death brings me home. Psalm 116, precious in the Lord's eyes is the death of his saints. What do you say to the physician who comes in to the hospital room with your loved one to bring maybe just a little bit of pain-resolving care, don't you say, thank you, thank you? What does the father say to the police officer who maybe found the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter, long lost to the night, long lost to the sin, who was able to track down and find and bring that child home? What does the father say to the officer? Thank you for bringing him home. Isn't death the friend that brings his children home? Uh, Paul, I don't like that. She sat right there on Sunday. Brenda sat right there. She sat right there. She sat there for a year, didn't she, Vani? That's where she sat, right where Celine sat. She sat right there and she sang and she worshiped on Sunday. She sat out on the couch in the sun smiling and saying hi to people as they left. As, as Vanya counted, that's where, that's where Brenda, 
Matthew walked up to the cross on Sunday. She walked up to the cross as another young woman was up there, her and Vani. She walked to the cross and she put her hands on another one to help that person at the cross, the cross that Brenda had gone to many times before. And Brenda was at that cross on Sunday. And now she's at the feet of Jesus this Sunday. And I will bury her body on Tuesday. She would send me notes. Maybe you didn't know Brenda. Brenda was one of our online hosts. She'd help people connect. That's how she got to know our church family. Bonnie had tried for many years to help Brenda kind of get used to it. And Brenda, she, she'd watch online. And, and then it was a year ago now, it was a year ago, Easter, where she started coming. And Jesus took her life and flipped it and changed it and transformed it. And ask those who know Brenda well, this last year was the greatest year of Brenda's life. She would send me notes, Pastor, I hope you and, she sent me a note this last Monday, Pastor, I hope you and your family have a great day. And then within just a few hours, something vicious got a hold of her body. And they're driving her back and forth to the ER and they're taking her to Ohio State and the family is gathering together and it's very clear that Brenda's body will not be long. She had already had a lifetime, 65 years of suffering and pain and hardship and and transplants. This is a life hard lived. And so when death walks in on March 30th, 512, what do you say to death that brings her to Jesus? Don't you say, thank you? In the same way I would say to Vani, Vani, you're a good friend to Brenda. You brought her to, to church. For the believer who knows we go through death to life, we say thank you. Alfred Rethel's woodcutting so messed up his friends, his depiction of death in the cholera pandemic. It gave them nightmares. It kept them up at night. That very same year, he depicted death in another way. And it looks like this. This is the church tower bell ringer. You can see hanging from his waist a set of keys. The artist's way of seeing this man lived an ordered life. Next to him on the table, the Bible is open. Jesus upon the cross looks over him. Communion, the bread and the wine at the table to his side. The man who for so many kept death present for the people who stood as a friend to give word, whose life is now set, 
but also dawned at the same time. Death comes as the long pilgrim, that seashell upon his shoulder means that death is the pilgrim who made the long trip to ring the bell for his friend. Ask not for whom the bell tolls, for the bell tolls for thee. Jesus said in verse 26, death itself may be holding up a mirror to us this morning. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where is Jesus going in this moment? Where is he headed? Is he headed to the palace? Is he headed to gather the army? Where is Jesus heading? He's heading to the cross. If anyone will follow me, it is the life of Jesus' followers to go from death to life. Do you follow him? Do you follow him? Or are you concerned about the safety of now, the accumulation of now? And enjoying and delighting in now. Are you living for the life of this world now? Then Jesus would say, all that awaits you is death. And for that one, death surely is an enemy. But for us as followers of Jesus, maybe death can give us another gift. But you must invite the conversation. You have to invite the conversation. I have counseled some who sat at my table. Maybe this week would be a good week for you to write your obituary. Not because their marriage merited it, <laughs> but just because do it. Don't write the obituary that you would have to be given. Rather, write the obituary that you want read at your funeral. If you live the life that Jesus so wants you to live, to be the husband, the spouse, the grandparent, to be the co-worker, the light, the missionary, to be all of those things, write that obituary. The life you want to live in light of the gospel. Write that out and then read it on a regular basis. Remind yourself of how precious time is, of what really matters, and the value of what really is treasure. Give me a gift. Make your funeral easy. I've done some funerals, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. That's what you feel on the inside. I don't know. But my friend Brenda, it's opening week and she gave me a softball. Not a hard pitched one. I'm really like right there. Because in her life, in her faith, she was committed to, devoted to sharing and embodying the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. It's easy. Tuesday's easy. I will weep, but it is easy. 
because in Jesus, she went from death to life. And you can too. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' ministry.